Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I want to give a very warm welcome to Doug Zarkin. Doug is currently the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for Pearl Vision, where for the last decade, he's led the global strategic marketing, visual merchandising, product promotion, and store design for Luxottica's over $600 million global optical franchise business. His career has been incredibly diverse across CPG, retail, entertainment, and agency, with leadership experience at Gray Global, Avon, Warnico, Kelwood, and Victoria's Secret Pink which he launched from test market to a $400 million national brand. His work leading the transformation of Pearl Vision has helped to propel it to the top of Entrepreneur Magazine's top 500 franchise brand list and led to the company being named, alongside McDonald's and Dunkin', one of the top 10 most profitable franchise brands. Pretty impressive, right? His wealth of experience has led Doug to be included on numerous top marketers lists, he has five North American FE Awards, a Clio Award, and has twice been recognized as Innovative Marketer of the Year by the CMO Club. Today, Doug and I are going to be chatting about his experience in building major brands, as well as leveraging branded content to drive branded marketing messaging. We'll learn what works from Doug's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Doug, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Can we package that and send it to my dad who still has no understanding of what I do for a living? I really we, appreciate it. We absolutely can. And my mom is right behind him so that she can actually learn what I do too, because it's, it's still not quite figured out there. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Of course. And so I love starting off while chatting about you, how did you get to where you are today? I mean, you have had a lauded career. I mean, it's amazing what you have actually done. Uh, and not many marketers have had as much opportunity to launch and reinvigorate brands. So um, I'd like to say that it was part of a grand master plan. Um, what I will say is when I graduated graduate school, you know, after making the decision to not pursue both my JD and my MBA. Um, I wanted to just, I decided about a semester into that joint program that that wasn't for me. Plowed through my MBA in 13 months and came to New York knowing that I wanted to run a business and a brand and, and got some great advice. This is pre-LinkedIn, not to date myself too much, but I called a family friend who was in, in the world of marketing and advertising. And his advice to me was very simple. Doug, if you wanna be driving the train, you got to get on at the back and work your way to the front, learn all the roles and functions, speak the language of the roles and functions. And, and most importantly, when you're finally in that C-suite in that position of leadership, you'll be in a great position to motivate and understand how to get the best out of your people that are now in those roles and functions. And so um, starting the agency business, which is really at the end of the train about execution, working my way through client side opportunities of, of growing scale, uh, and now I find myself at, you know, the premier optical franchise brand in North America, Pearl. And um, I, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've been given. And I'm grateful for the people that have helped me get here. I think most importantly, I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned along the way that hopefully have, have made me um, as good a leader as I can be. What are some of those lessons you've learned that you stand out to you? So, um, you know, early on in your career, you're encouraged to climb the mountain as fast as you can focus on performance, drive for excellence. And, you know, I was one of those guys that, you know, was in at 8.30 and was leaving at seven. 
um, back in the days where there was no such thing as business casual. So it was, you know, shirt tie and suspenders and was just plowing ahead. And, and it wasn't until I got into a, a position of leadership that I realized that there's no sense in getting to the top of a mountain if there's nobody with you, um, not only to help you take the selfie, you know, to take a picture with you, but most importantly, to celebrate the journey with. And so, you know, understanding that performance and leadership go hand in hand. It is not easy to do what we do for a living. If you think about what marketers do, it's incredibly arrogant. Our job is to get into the mindset of a consumer and motivate them to take action. Talk about arrogance. Like to be able to think you can do that is, is a little bit ridiculous. The power of people in helping you do it is, is not really drilled into you when you're getting your degrees or when you start out. And so I would think the importance of developing a strong leadership mentality to bring people with you on the journey. The second thing I think is, is to celebrate progress, not just perfection. You know, again, as you're working your way up the career ladder, it's, it's about delivering perfect, perfect deliverables. And perfection is very um, few and far between. And there are very few things that need to be perfect in order to be successful. So I, I think the notion of celebrating the progress along the way. Um, and I would say the third thing is really adopting the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of the time, if you can get to 80% confidence, you go, you do, you release it. It's understanding the 20% that requires you to be 100% perfect. That is critical. What that helps you do is, is marshal resources correctly. It helps you avoid micromanaging, helps you really figure out how to prioritize all the things that you need to do. Um, and it's liberating to know that something doesn't necessarily need to be perfect in order for it to be successful. And it also gets you to actually go to launch because so many brand marketers, I think, are sitting there thinking that whatever they put out into the world must be spot on, dialed in, 100% there. And then you get almost frozen because it's hard to be 100% there before you actually have put something out in the universe and seen how you've gotten reactions and then tweak and maneuver it a little bit more. Well, the, the most ridiculous thing, if you think about it with, with testing, is that you're testing in a moment in time with a climate in time, with, in an environment where your competitors are doing A, B, and C in that moment, where the economy is A, B, and C in that moment. In our case now, where COVID rates are A, B, and C in that moment. By the time you test, read, and then make the decision to execute, the marketplace could have radically changed. I mean, think about our world in January and February of 2021 versus our world now in October and November. Imagine doing a, a Q1 test, which you don't get the results back until mid-Q2. If you're lucky, you spend the rest of Q2 and early Q3 optimizing, and then you go to market. You put something in a market now that you tested in January, I mean, you're dealing with a completely different ecosystem. So I'm not poo-pooing test and learn, but test and learn has to be done at a pace that allows you to implement smartly. Well, it's really similar. I work in the entertainment industry, right? So we do product placement, movies, and TV sure. shows. And Hollywood has taken the same strategy that you're talking about that brands are using for marketing on how they actually are approaching distribution and content production for streaming platforms, right? So you've always looked at your traditional television model. You have a pilot, you put it out there. Do the advertisers like it? Uh, then you dial it back, you revamp it if necessarily, and then you sell it to the agencies. Right. And <clears throat> then you green light, okay, you have three episodes. It's a go, if you make your three episodes, we'll give you more. And the streamers turn this around 
flat on its head and said, you know what, we're just going to upfront commit to 10 and hopefully they like it. If they do, we'll keep on doing more. And they're using all the data points and testing points themselves on actual things that are released into the world to then shape their futures. And I think that's what we're seeing from marketers now who are starting to realize in our internet, socially fast paced driven world, that those long testing platforms and timeframes don't work anymore. I mean, I spent the first decade of my career on the agency side, as I mentioned, and one of our accounts was Warner Brothers Home Video and Theatrical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was back in the day where you were developing the first websites that were putting content out. And what was that content? It was movie trailers. You know, movie trailers were really the first bit of content to go on the web in terms of branded to drive action. And um, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think it's an either or. I think there's a happy medium. You know, the dollars that are invested in creating content regardless of whether it's big or small, your reputation is what is on the line when you produce content. So I'm not of the, the mindset that either of those approaches is correct. I do think there's a happy medium. I mean, let's not forget the worst testing pilot in the history of NBC was Seinfeld. But there was a personal passion for the project and that's why it was greenlit. And looks what, look what happened. Research is only as good as the questions that you ask. Mm -hmm. The same thing with data. So you can test something, but not do it in the right way with the right audience, with the right questions and get an entirely different response. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you that there needs to be a greater degree of fluidity with content, but at the same time, um, want to be careful that you're not being reckless because again, bad content can really damage your reputation. 100%, it's harder to fix things afterwards. So with Pearl Vision, you have mm. approached the brand in a very novel way where you have pretty much upended the strategies you have reinvigorated, you have used content to bring it back to life. How did you approach and how did you help shape the culture to enable that to happen? So for us, we, we recognized pretty early on in my tenure that we were in a very competitive extremely commoditized category. And at the same time, what we actually sold wasn't necessarily as, as differentiated as one would think. You know, one out of every two sunglasses on the planet sold as a Ray-Ban. So the fact that we sell Ray-Ban is not really a big deal. That's a point of market entry. And that's not the case with everything that we sell, but the majority of the products that we sell, you can find in some of our sister brands and also some of the independents. What we came to recognize pretty quickly was the notion that consumers make emotional decisions before they make rational choices. And in our case, that emotional decision-making was about, should I trust you with the care of your eyes, you know, care of my eyes? Mm -hmm. And so we needed to start telling stories, you know, i.e. content that would allow us to showcase why we were the destination that you should choose. You know, this brand had an incredibly strong heritage and much like a house that was poorly decorated, you had to strip a lot of the crap off the walls to realize that the bones of the house were beautiful. And when I joined the business about 10 years ago, that's exactly what we did is, is we had had five different brand positionings in eight years. There was a lot of chaos. Um, there wasn't consistency. And especially for a franchise business, you are as good as your worst location. So we really needed to bring everything into alignment and take a much firmer hand into how we were expressing ourselves both on and offline. And I think through the power of emotional-based storytelling with our small moments campaign, with the work that we do in social, we've been able to right-size the perception of the brand 
And now, you know, we're up there, you know, as the highest brand from a quality of care perspective in the industry. With the content that you're producing right now, and how is it a different approach than a traditional ad campaign? Because it is, because you're doing extensions on it, you're getting PR campaigns behind it, you're getting film festivals in some cases um, to be supporting your content and helping leverage it and bring it to more people. How is that? internally wrapping your head around that and, and using that as the showcase? You know, we're, we're, we're getting better. We're not great at it, um, candidly. You know, we have, have been a little bit slower than I would like to adapt to the evolution in what's going on with content on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, we have to take a much deeper approach and we've started to when something is posted on Facebook and in, in Instagram, you're, it's a self-optimization platform but you have reels and stories now on Instagram and you have to be able to design that, that snackable bit of content for the platform. And I think we're getting more purposeful in our decisions there. Relative to extensions, I think the key thing there is to be humble. You know, how many people actually really care what we have to say on certain topics? We have to be very choiceful into what we talk about. Yes, we have a right to talk about eye health and eye care. And as a brand that has prioritized women, you know, especially somebody that we call the chief health officer, who's making all of the health and wellness decisions for herself and her family. We absolutely have earned the right. And we were recently recognized by the Women's Choice Awards as the um, best eye care optical brand for the fourth consecutive year. We have a right to talk to her about a variety of issues related to health and wellness, but we have to be careful in how we do it. We don't want to take too big a step because as quickly as you've earned the trust as a valuable source of content on things that are meaningful to her from us, that's as quickly as you can lose it by talking about things that are well outside your, your um, remit. And with that approach, what are some of the stumbling blocks that you tend to come across? So um, speed and cost, mm -hmm. you know, great creative doesn't necessarily take an exorbitant amount of time to concept out. But at times I find that we're a little bit slower than I would like in taking an idea and bringing it to fruition. Prohibitive in terms of cost. Um, you know, you can do things a scrappy way and you can do things a full-blown production way. You know, if you've ever worked in, in television um, and I've had the opportunity to, to you know, be on air and some of the larger local stations in the country, when they come do a remote, there is a guy with a camera, there is a guy in a generic term, there's somebody with a sound, with a mic, and then there's usually the person interviewing you. Mm -hmm. So it's a three-person crew. If you can do that, and that's good enough for WNBC in New York or ABC in New York, as an example, why do you need 30 people to shoot content that you're going to put on Instagram and Facebook? And that's the dilemma that I, that I have with our agencies and with our team is, come on, it, it doesn't cost $100,000 to do everything. You know, people are editing iMovies on their, on their Mac. We really need to spend 30 grand in the edit suite. And just pushing people to, to liberate their minds in terms of how to get things done um, has been a challenge. Well, it's more a scrappy universe that we're in right now. And I think that we can all learn from influencers and the fact that they're able to utilize a very small group of people to support and create their work and, and develop really compelling content that is able to move the muscle and get engagement. And that's what you're commenting on, the fact that 
it is easy for others to actually do this hard for brands to know how to dial back and not have that sheen and that polished approach to everything that they do. You, there's a difference between, I think, being polished and being buttoned up. Mm-hmm. And, and I think where influencers fail is thinking that having a little bit of a raw take means that you don't have to be polished. I mean, don't, don't have to be buttoned up and they're wrong. Um, and, and, and for me, as we approach, um, you know, guerrilla content, I, I think you have to be extremely clear into what your message points are. You know, what are you looking to achieve? Um, you know, we recently did something with a celebrity. I won't mention who it is, but I would call it a successful failure. Um, you know, there just was no love. There was no vested interest from no the buy-in. talent. No like, buying from her on what, on what we wanted to do. And as a result, it came off really poor. And, you know, we scrapped a couple hundred thousand dollar campaign around it because the end product was, was not satisfactory. And, you know, it's funny when I talked to her agent and said, look, we're pulling this. Well, why? Look at it. Look at it. There's no sparkle. There was no sparkle. There was no passion. Um, And I certainly, as, as the protector of this brand, you know, one of many, am not going to, to, to push something just for the sake of doing it. And when you're looking for partnerships, so the successful failure that you just had, how would you try to advert that from happening again? What would you put in place to try to ensure that that authenticity was there, that that buy-in to messaging was there? Because it's hard. It is hard yeah. to get third parties to do that. Yeah. You know, I, in, in retrospect, and again, I call this a successful failure because you learned something and I certainly am not going to make the same mistake again. I should have listened to my gut. Um, when we signed the contract with this talent, as part of the contract, they were very specific as to we were going to have 25 minutes with, with the talent as a pregame. And seven minutes into the call, we were getting text messages from, from her agent to wrap it up. And I should have pulled the plug right then and there um, and was counseled not to. You know, you've got to be able to want to do it. And, and there has to be a respect, a mutual respect by both the brand that is hiring the talent as well as the talent who's agreed to do it. You know, if it's simply a money grab, it's gonna show. Um, you know, I will never work with this talent. We were planning something bigger with this talent beyond just this, this campaign. And um, we pulled it and I let the agent know, you know what, they didn't live up to their obligation. You know, and, and we could fight over whether we deserve a refund or not. It just became a, a bit of a diminishing returns, not to get too much into, into the weeds, but. Um, we decided to run and cut bait because I didn't want to be associated with this town anymore. You started off your conversation with me talking about getting buy-in and making sure that when you get to that summit, that you have someone on your team next to you, they're posed to be able to take that social image with you um, so that you're not a leader all on your own. And you're talking about talent right now. How do you apply that same expectation with the celebrity talent you might bring into your ad campaigns to the teams that you're building underneath you to help run the actual business? So great question. First and foremost, the thing I look for is passion. You can't teach somebody to be passionate. You either are or you aren't. And so I hire for passion. Um, I require purpose. So I want somebody who is focused on 
on making a difference, focused on, on being the best they can be, approaches things big and small with intent. And as I mentioned earlier, I celebrate progress. So, you know, hire for, per, you know, you, you want to hire for passion, you want to require purpose, and you want to celebrate progress. And when I look at talent, if the reason that you think I should hire you is because you went to Harvard, guess what? I don't care what your GMAT scores were or your SAT scores were. It's not a reason to hire you. Entry-level candidates make the single biggest, single biggest mistake by promoting that this is where they went to school and that's why they're qualified. And the reality is for all of us that are in a position to build teams, we know they may teach you fundamentals in college and grad school, but they don't teach you the job. You know, as you move up, your experience becomes more germane to why you should be considered. But I would much rather take somebody that doesn't have as much experience, but has 10x the passion. I can teach you the job. I can't teach you to care. And that's the same approach that, that we really should be taking with talent and content is, is I want someone who's going to work hard for the brand, who cares, who, who uses it as a reflection of who they are, um, who understands that, that there's a mutual win-win here, um, but most importantly, cares. You know, pardon the expression, but I want people who are going to give a shit. You know, I want that on my team. I want that from people who touch this business. Apathy, there's no room for it, you know, in today's modern marketing playbook. Too many, too many competitors. It kills it. It kills the energy. I mean, we are very, I'm very purpose-driven in our agency. We are, you know, my mantra is that we can give you everything. Just as you said, we can teach you anything but we cannot give you passion and drive. That's something that you have to bring to the table yourself. If you don't have passion and drive, you need to go and find something that gives you that in life yeah. because life is just too short. I mean, as marketers, we embed ourselves in the culture of the brands that we're building. We live it, we breathe it, we sleep it. We are, don't turn off on Saturdays and Sundays. This is part of what powers a marketer in general. I, I am for whatever degree of success you would evaluate me having had over the course of my career, it is because I have been able to build high performing teams. You know, certainly a leader has to lead and I'm very proud of the visions and that I've laid out for each of the brands that I've touched. And I'm, and I'm equally proud of the work that I've done, but accomplishing that work is not a one man job or one woman job. It, it really is about surrounding yourself with complementary talent, that isn't there to just agree with you and execute, but is also there, you know, with you to think and building your org structure. You know, one of the things that I try to do is to try to keep it as flat as possible because junior people have great ideas. And oftentimes it's the different layers and chain of command that, that demotivates them to express it. You know, we're not the military, you know, we're, we're trying to motivate you to do what we need you to do, which is get your eyes checked and buy a great pair of glasses. So by delayering my organization, I've allowed one layer between me and the most junior person on the team to ensure that there's a pipeline, to ensure that there's a pathway for feedback, both positive and negative, both ways, mm -hmm. um, because I think leaders have to be open to feedback as much as we give it. And, and also for, for obviously accountability, which is so critical. How has COVID changed your approach with marketing? Obviously, we just went through a year, year and a half time period where people stopped getting medical checkups. They stopped um, taking care of themselves. They hold, you know, up into their houses. How have you tried to dial into this and have you had to change tactics entirely? 
so we um, were very fortunate that we were never completely shut down because eye care was deemed an essential service. But we actually had to tell our neighbors, listen, unless you are a frontline worker or have trauma or broke your glasses or ran out of contacts, please don't come. Um, don't schedule an eye exam. Wait. And by doing so, we were actually really sort of taking a couple of marbles out of the trust jar and saying, we're trusting that you're going to understand and come back. And we had the strongest second half of the year in 2020 that we've had in the history of the business. We have had a record H1 in 2021 and are on path again to have a record year at the end of this year. And what that really allowed us to do from a marketing perspective is refocus on what I would call, you know, the must-dos. You know, there, there's an interesting way to look at the things that a marketer can do. You know, there's the must versus the needs, there's the coulds versus the shoulds, and then there's that big bucket of wants. I think what COVID forced us to do was to really go back to evaluate the list of the must and the needs and make sure that we were doing a great job with those. And then we got into the coulds and the shoulds as the business started to really percolate. And now we're starting to play a little bit in the wants. Um, but to be sure, there is no third down in global pandemic in anybody's marketing playbook. So, you know, to use a football analogy, even the great Bill Belichick isn't sending in the third down in global pandemic play to their quarterback. So it was liberating in that there was no prescribed way. And so it was an opportunity to think differently and figure it out. And now you've come out of COVID. We're coming out of COVID. We hope we're coming out of COVID. We're entering this whole world of the metaverse. How as a brand marketer are you looking at, not meta necessarily, but metaverse? And we've been seeing it coming out with gameplay and branding within games. Been, God, we don't know what's going to come at us, but what is your take on it? Um, you're laughing, guys. In case you're not like, like actually like watching us I, right now, I, he's like smiling, his eyes are lit up, and he's like, I, like chuckling. So I... One of the things I think to be a, an effective marketer is you, you have to have a humility to understand that you are never going to fully anticipate what the consumer wants or the consumer needs. You're going to take your best, take it at, use all of the tools quantitatively and qualitatively you have and put your best foot forward. You know, when we talk broadly about the metaverse, um, it's an all encapsulated sort of esoteric perspective on how consumers are going to interact with entertainment and CPG and service businesses. But if you were to strip down all the fancy language, okay, what it's basically at its core discussing is consumer behavior. You know, what do consumers really want out of their experiences? For us, or for me, I'll, I'll speak just for me, I am, I'm not trying to let fear of missing out become a marketing strategy. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. It's very few things that you should do, must do, or need to do. Um, I am excited about the opportunity to connect with consumers. What's interesting is that if you look at what's happening with Facebook's algorithm, they're actually paring back your ability to connect. It's, they're making it more difficult. The same thing with Google. Privacy is actually making it more difficult to connect digitally than ever before. And what you're seeing is a resurgence of what I would call old school methodologies like direct mail, because you're trying to break through the clutter. It used to be you'd get a thousand pieces of direct mail during the holidays. Now you get a thousand emails a day from the, you know, Black Friday, Christmas, Hanukkah. It's, it's overkill. 
So I actually think there's going to be a reset at some point where, again, companies have gone and they've done out of either fear of missing out or we got to grab this opportunity versus, versus somebody else doing it. And I think the consumer is going to be very vocal about what they like and what they don't. And so I think you're going to see an expansion, then a contrition, and then perhaps a refocus on core fundamentals. And I hope that out of this expansion into the metaverse, which sounds something right out of a Marvel movie, that um, we're not going to lose sight of what consumers really want, which is authentic communications about products and services that are relevant to them, presented to them in a personalized way so that they can make very easy choices and decisions of where, who, and what to spend and trust. So you're trying to say that the average consumer doesn't want to just think about dressing up as a Batman um, and running through a digital world and looking at all the things that they can consume from that standpoint? I am saying that if you can't be yourself, being Batman is not a bad choice. But at the same time, what I am saying is that because somebody wants to do something doesn't mean you should build something for that somebody to do it. And for... What's in the future with Pearl Vision? Where are you going to be going? Are you doubling down on all things content creation, staying away from inauthentic celebrities? We know that one is not going to happen with you guys again. But what is the next horizon? Great question. Um, so I think for us, our commitment to care and continuing to build the care perception of Pearl Vision is at, is at, is at the heart of what we do. Um, how do we continue to earn the trust and, and, and be seen as that, that expert, genuine expert eye care provider in the neighborhood? And that really comes through some innovations that we're, we're rolling out. You know, currently, um, we are rolling out a digital fit technology that allows you to ensure that your perfect pair is indeed perfect, you know, down to the millimeter. Because in, in eyewear, a millimeter of fit in your glasses is the difference between seeing clearly and having a massive headache. If you, if you're, if you, anybody who wears glasses will tell you, um, it, it's also about ensuring that, you know, we're bringing innovative products to market. Um, Ray-Ban Stories is a product that our parent company, Eslor Luxottica, recently launched, and we're excited to bring that product into Pearl and also make it RXable. So you now can have the Wayfarers that you love in prescription with this amazing technology advancement included directly in. We're gonna to continue to ensure that we're putting this brand on the brain of the consumer in a respectful way. The average consumer gets an eye exam between 12 and 18 months. And so we wanna make sure through our online scheduling portal that the minute you have that epiphany moment or that oh shit moment that you didn't get your annual eye exam, that you can connect with your neighborhood Pearl quickly, find the doctor that you want to go to, schedule an appointment, not only for yourself and your family and ensure that your eyes are healthy. From a, a content perspective, it's about being authentic. You know, it's about mining for stories within the brand, within the consumer ecosystem that reinforce why we should be your choice mm -hmm. and keeping an eye on, on what's happening around us, most importantly. Um, we're not closed-minded when it comes to innovation and, and we will definitely take a, a little bit more of a test and learn approach as, as the year kind of goes through and we see how 2022 settles in because let's not forget, retail businesses have to comp against a, a very um, inconsistent 2021. So it's going to be a real uh, fingers crossed on how the first half of 2022 shapes up. 
But as, as we start getting our feet under us and the foundation continues to solidify, I expect that we're going to be trying some innovative things. Well, Doug, I really appreciated your time today and your insights. And I know our listeners did as well. I appreciate the time. I wish everybody health and success and stay healthy, stay well for the new year. And to all of our listeners today, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you ever have any questions about how to get your brand integrated into television and film and streaming and music and all those awesome properties that you don't necessarily have to produce yourself, reach out to my team at Hollywood Branded and we'll talk to you soon. Have a great night.